Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, your host. And today I had the honor and privilege of interviewing Dr. Marcy Forda. And I actually was, I saw um, Dr. Forda a few times on other podcasts and on Instagram. And I think I was a little intimidated to reach out to her. And sometimes I put a poll on Instagram or on my WhatsApp status, like, who would you like me to interview next? And I got so many people saying, interview Dr. Dr. Marcy Forda. And I just reached out to her and she was so kind and generous and gracious with her time. And really I was blown away by the episode, honestly, because um, as much as we talk about eating disorder um, treatment or even prevention, or we talk about getting rid of diet culture, I think that we're still struggling so much as a community because we're so, so, so stuck in diet culture. And I, I it's such a gross understatement because I can't even I can't even begin to scratch the surface of how much we are steeped in diet culture and how yes I feel like on the one hand very hopeful that we're making positive change in the world and on the other hand just feeling sometimes just feeling really down about it because it's like I could speak to 10 people in a day let's say whether it's clients or or just friends or family members or just random people I meet at the grocery store and I feel like so many people still don't know about intuitive eating and health at every size. And even so many people are, are not receptive at all. Many people are, but still, I still find the majority of people are not. So I feel like the way that Dr. Forda is, um, kind, I always say like kind of like going in the back door and really working on the prevention and understanding how eating disorders start and understanding, um, the signs and symptoms and people's predisposition for it and things that, could potentially um, like lead to somebody actually developing an eating disorder. I, I always say it's, it's really the perfect storm of combinations of maybe some other mental illness or a lot of change at home or God forbid, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, using the eating, whether it's binging or restricting to exercise your autonomy and control. There's just so many things that could could lead to it and of course having a predisposition predisposition to it um so i just really appreciate dr forda's work i appreciate her journey to how she got here and how she shares it in great detail of from this step to that step and how she really put in so much thought into creating her organization atsmi and what how, how she's um really trying to get into the schools and get to the teachers get to the parents and um, you could definitely reach out to her. I'll put her information in the show notes if you would like to have her curriculum in your school. And I think it's every school should have it, honestly. I think it's amazing. And I I really think that this is a very, very, very valuable episode to listen to if you are anybody, but specifically a parent, a teacher, if you have specifically, you know, young girls, teenage girls, even young boys, teenage boys, I mean eating disorders don't like they don't pass over anyone especially nowadays with all the marketing that's targeting men and women um so that's really really important and take a like take a deep take a few minutes to really think about if this is something that you could try to implement in your own school and i think that this is just amazing work and i really hope that you enjoy this episode i'm also going to ask again that if you like this podcast if you've gained from any of the episodes i really really would appreciate you subscribing to the podcast rating the podcast reviewing the podcast and sharing the podcast this is how we spread the intuitive eating message and i as i said in before that 
still so many people don't know about intuitive eating. And yes, I think we are making positive change in the world, but in order for people to really understand the nuances and the um, intricacies of intuitive eating, I always recommend starting with listening to podcasts because that's really where you'll understand and it's, and it's free and it's just really good content. And then you could decide if you want to buy the book or you want to work with somebody privately or take a course. Um, so I would really, really appreciate that. I am running a group now for um, the intuitive eating um, group, which is where I'm teaching the principles as well as there's so much support in the group. It is on Zoom. Everything will be recorded and you will have unlimited access to the recording. So please reach out at gilaglassberg18 at gmail.com if you are interested in joining the group. And you could also find other free resources at my website, www.gilaglassberg.com. And you could always support the podcast as well. So you could sign up to be a subscriber to the podcast where you can make a monthly donation or you could just um, sign up through through um, Spotify and um, send donations via my Zelle, which is my, just my cell phone number, 570-878-3642. And any amount really, really helps the podcast going. So without further ado, here's the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, your host, registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. And today I have Dr. Marcy Forda. Hello. How are you? Hi, Gila. How are you? Thank you so much for inviting me on today. Sure. I'm so happy to have you on. So could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Where do you live? What do you do? Sure. Um, my name is Marcy Forta. I actually live in Michigan. Um, I work in eating disorder awareness, education, and prevention. I pro- provide a lot of support for families of, uh, you know, families that are affected by eating disorders or children might have an eating disorder. Uh, I do a lot of speaking on body image, uh, and I am the founder and director of OTSNI, which is an organization that was founded to support the mental health of from adolescent girls via our My Best Self project, which is a curriculum um, that we've created that is in three grades, and it helps us cultivate self-compassion, kind of reduce the focus on outward appearance and improve our body image. Uh, the, the focus really is to help the girls define and develop their unique selves, but also to head off eating disorders. Wow, that is so amazing. I'm so happy to hear that you're doing that. Um, so can you tell us how that started, like how you started doing that work and that, and specifically how you started Atsumi? 
Okay, sure. So um, I actually ran a women and girls clothing store here in Michigan for about 15 mm. years. Wow. And, um, you know, what I noticed, my background is really in business and um, I loved it. What I, but what I noticed a lot of the time was a lot of struggle with their body image. You know, young girls coming, changing bodies to young women, young women becoming mothers, mothers growing older. There was a lot of uh, discomfort and struggle. What do I wear? What looks good on me? I don't feel good in my body. Um, and it really affected me. It, it bothered me that everyone seemed to be struggling with the same thing. So mm. I, um, sold the store for personal reasons. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, this is really weighing on me as somebody who personally struggled um, with a lot of body image issues and an eating disorder when I was a teen. Um, it really affected me very profoundly. So I thought, you know, what can we do to make a change? Because eating disorders we know are so devastating uh, and they're very difficult disorders and they are, can be long-term and they can be hard to treat. Uh, and there are so many complications with them. So I, I decided to take a different route. I really wanted to work in prevention of eating disorders. So I went back to school um, and I got my doctorate in education specifically so that I could create these programs um, that would be empirically based, but also based on Torah and Hashkafa. So when I went back to school and I, I my dissertation was really on um, eating disorder risk factors in the from Orthodox adolescent female community. So it was very specific. Um, what I wanted to do was create these prevention programs. So I trained in whatever prevention programs are out there, the secular programs. And then what I realized is, is they weren't created with the from girl in mind. Mm -hmm. And prevention, the research shows that prevention is that is tailored to the specific cultural and environmental and religious considerations of the group is much more effective. But also we have Torah, we have all those things that we need. We have beautiful, you know, lessons in Ashkafa. So I took those things and the empirical ways that we head off eating disorders and I created these programs. Um, eating disorders don't occur in a vacuum. So most people, I would say 95 plus percent of people with an eating disorder also have some type of co-occurring condition, whether that's anxiety, depression, OCD, post-traumatic stress disorder, something that goes along with it. So what we've created is a program that helps not just specifically for eating disorders, it helps emotion regulation, it helps the girls understand um, the tenets of self-compassion, things that are in my control, out of my control, what self-care is versus being selfish, boundaries, mm -hmm. priorities, healthy relationships. So we, we try to give them a lot um, and empirically head off eating disorders. Wow. Wow. That's like, I mean, that's so amazing to hear just as somebody who, you know, is a dietitian and works through the intuitive eating principles. Like I always say that intuitive eating is not meant to treat an eating disorder. It's, it's really meant for more like disordered eating. So then it's like, how do we prevent eating disorders when, like you said, they're so, so complicated, so hard to treat. And there's so many other things going on. Mm -hmm. So just like, like what you said right off the bat was like, you know, practicing, learning what self-compassion is and learning how to regulate your emotions. Like those are so, those are so many things that come up with an eating disorder or even disordered eating that there's like that harsh tone of diet culture, you know, like that, that like all or nothing thinking that it has to be this way that we have to look this way. And it's like combating that with just not just prevention, but a lot of prevention, which is like exactly targeting those things that affect people with eating disorders is like, so, so, so important, like so amazing. Yeah, and there are just those components that kind of predispose us, right? And we just have a lot of unique risk factors kind of in our culture. And so supporting emotions, which is a big part of it, um, 
really makes a big difference in the prevention. But of course, mm -hmm. you know, talking about appearance ideals and body image and diet culture, these are also important conversations for the girls sure. to have as well. Yeah, I wanna go back to like the, the beginning of what you said about how you started a clothing store. Um, so first of all, that's such an interesting, unique perspective because I've heard this from so many clients about like, myself included, like how a lot of their eating disorder sort of eating thoughts started from a clothing store, you know, whether it was like, you know, walking into a clothing store and being like, oh, we don't have a size for you. Or like, you know, them making a comment, if you would lose weight, this would fit you better. Or try the bigger size, the smaller size. And I hear it from clients all the time. They don't have, they walk into a store, they're ignored or, you know, they're, they don't have their, they don't cater to their size. It's just like, it could be such a, it's such a big part of what I counsel on, which is just like, clothing. So, so did you start the clothing store because, because you said you had a business background or because you specifically were interested in clothing or did it have anything to do with your own eating disorder journey? Interesting. Um, I always loved fashion. So for me, it was kind of something that I would have always loved to do. I loved, um, you know, sometimes I'll take some people shopping and help them put outfits together and clothing. It's something that I always enjoyed as an aside. Um, I, and it was because of my business background. I always really wanted to start my own business. Um, and my kids were getting a little bit older and it was you know, time for me to try something outside the home. So that really was what piqued my interest. But unfortunately, like you said, I do hear a lot of stories of people, store owners who really are just not very kind to their customers and they do make the process extremely stressful you know for for me I, I had a lot of mothers sometimes who would come in even before their daughters came in and they would explain that their daughter's struggling with this or this and um you know if to, to start already with a size that their correct size and to maybe make some suggestions for them that will be good um and i suggest that to mothers even now as well mm -hmm. if you know, if your child is a little bit larger and it's a little bit harder to fit them, so don't take them to a store that they're not going to have clothes for them. And right. maybe go to the store beforehand and talk to the store owner or somebody who works there and put aside a few things that they can recommend for your child if, you know, your child doesn't take the recommendations well from you. Mm -hmm. um, I do think store owners can be, or maybe it's just the people who work there, I don't really know, but I have heard some also some scary stories about things like that. It should right. be a beautiful, wonderful experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? You feel good yeah. when you walk out of the store. You found something that you like and makes you feel good about yourself. So. Yeah. Yeah. I will just say on the, the positive note that last year when I was pregnant with my son, like I went to one of the stores in Brooklyn and the lady was really, really helpful. And that was like so nice to leave the store with like somebody who's just helping you and not saying anything about your size or weight. It doesn't really matter. This is your size and this is your weight. And I'll try to get you close to fit your body, you know? 100%. As it should it. be, as it should be. So it's as interesting it though, you transitioned so drastically though, from like going from, you know, like starting a clothing store, having nothing to do with like related to eating disorders. Like I could see that as a cool business model, you know, like somebody <laughs> who, <laughs> specifically yeah. like catering to people's body sizes. On that note, I will just say one more thing. Sorry that I keep going on this tangent, but I always, I always um, quote from the book Anti-Diet from Christy Harrison that because we have so much mass produced clothes now that everything is like mass produced and like there's their sizes, even though the sizes are not like regulated, like every store could have different sizes. It used to be that people did have custom clothes. They weren't like a size 10 or a size six or a size 20. They just got clothes that fit their body. So now that we have these, like this, like, you know, um, system of sizing, then we have also like you know, negative sizes and positive sizes. But if it could only be that, you know, we were fitting, you have this body shape and this, whatever, you would just get clothes that fit your body. Wouldn't it be such a big deal? Yeah. And I, and I really would like to comment that, 
What I did notice is, first of all, a lot of the from clothing manufacturers really do make their clothing sizes smaller than regular manufacturers. So women who came in and were just a regular normal size, um, you know, were feeling like they had to buy large, extra large, extra, extra large in order just to get it to fit them properly. Mm -hmm. um, I That really made people feel badly about themselves. And a lot of women and girls, if they couldn't fit into the small or extra, extra small, um, they wouldn't buy it because it didn't matter how it looked on them. If it wasn't the size that they could feel comfortable wearing, they mm -hmm. couldn't buy that piece of clothing. Um, and that really, I just, it just broke my heart because it's not that I can't relate to it or that I'm, I, I never had that, but it's just seeing it. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to tell you that the Get Into It with Gila podcast is sponsored by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com is the place for any Jew, no matter how firm or religious you are, to find a top-notch therapist, psychiatrist, coach, or dietitian, and it's completely free for you to use. OKClarity.com's professionals are vetted and have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. Yes, you can even find me there. If you're in the market for a therapist, coach, dietitian, psychiatrist, or the like, you want to check them out. If you don't find what you're looking for, they have a service where you complete a short form and they will personally match you, which I think is so, so cool. Important side note, if you are a wellness professional, I highly recommend joining their directory. Their team is amazing and I've received referrals immediately. They also really offer a ton of support. OK Clarity also has an amazing WhatsApp status with over 7,000 obsessed followers. And yes, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health and they post really great humor. So you'll laugh too, which is really, really important for our mental health, right? If you have WhatsApp, shoot them a message at 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. Have a great day. So open was really hard to watch, especially for young girls who were beautiful. They were just beautiful young girls coming in to get dressed. And if they couldn't, you know, get that extra, extra small, they, they weren't going to buy it. Yeah. And I actually just recently, like, have been hearing this from, like, teens or, you know, clients or people and their kids and whatever, like, um, that they only want to wear like the smaller extra small and it's like such an interesting thing I've been doing this work for a long time but it's just like why does the size matter like if it fits you it fits you but it does like for whatever reason like in our society it's like if you're you know not a size small or extra small like you don't matter or like yes 100% I'm not trying to bash the from stores I am just trying to I wish there was a little bit more you know light on this like shedding some light on it that it's like it has nothing to do with really like anything it's just that like different stores have different sizes and they're not really regulated so they can do whatever they want I'm not sure why the from stores cater to only smaller people it doesn't really make sense people like from people come in all shapes and sizes as well you know and you would think that they would want them to feel comfortable in the clothing so it should be a little more accurate is all but I, yeah. I, I've really been out of the business now for probably about eight or nine years so things could have changed drastically yeah. yes um, you know what I mean I, I at that time that's what I was seeing I, mm -hmm. I you know the trends could be different but I, I never really understood it because people are so different shapes and size wise um and it doesn't matter your size your top part of your body might be a different size than the bottom part of your body right. like very right. different yeah 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 there's definitely, I, there are definitely stores now like um, Impact Fashion or Drama, or there's there's other stores that are catering to um, plus size or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But that's really good to see. Um, but yeah, there are also like Shein and Amazon that also sell really nice stuff that are cheaper yeah. and easier to access. So I understand like it's, I just wish there was a little bit more access in the firm world. Yeah.
but there are some designers now, I think, in the front yes, hall that yes. are, you know, dresses for all sizes. And I, I, I just, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then you, you, you sold your store and then you decided to go, like, did you have it? Like, what was your degree and how did you totally switch? <laughs> uh, I, I have an MBA that was my degree. Mm -hmm. So I love business. Um, I love starting businesses and that was really exciting to me. You know, the thought of going back to school was not something that I had ever honestly considered. Um, I first started to think about how I wanted to get involved. And I actually started to kind of write a book about my own struggle um, with my eating disorder. Um, and what I kind of realized was, is that along the road, as we grow up and as we become parents and as our life changes, our perceptions of kind of what happened in our life changes. And so where I was in my life writing this book, my feelings about what happened when I was a teen and my feelings about what happened as an adult were not in sync anymore mm -hmm. um, and how I experienced it. And I kind of felt you know, how did I want to progress here? Did I really want to write it down? Which I did, and I kept it for myself. Um, I, I didn't want to publish it in the end. But I also thought to myself, you know, if I don't go back to school, just because I had my own experience, if I don't have something backing up what I'm doing, if I don't have that experience and that empirical knowledge, um, then people really aren't going to look at me as someone who is an expert in this field. Mm -hmm. So um, that is when I decided that I'm going to go back to school um, and I am going to, you know, get a degree specifically for this so that I can, I can do this. And I feel very fortunate that I did because I feel like in a way, um, this has been my mission. I just didn't realize it till a little later in my life. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I really do love what I do very much. I love meeting the people. I love helping people. Um, it's been it's been eye-opening and amazing to just have these conversations with people and 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 help them a little bit. Wow. So so when you after your eating disorder and then when you you like got older and started your own business, was there ever a thought in your head that you wanted to sort of be an advocate or help people who were struggling or you kind of like pushed it out of your head like professionally? I definitely pushed it out of my head for a lot of years. You know, I, I think when you recover, um sometimes you're kind of ready to jump in that realm and help people. And sometimes you kind of need time away from it. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, you know, I just walked away from it and, and I didn't really want to revisit it. Um, but like I said, just those experiences of, of watching people and their struggle, I felt like Hashem almost was calling to me, like, you know, now it's time to go back and, and figure out what happened and see what you can use that in a constructive way for. Right. That makes sense. Cause like, yeah, some people who had actually struggled with the diagnosed eating disorder and went through recovery and everything, they kind of like it's there and it, and it made a difference in their life. And many people are so much stronger after, but they just kind of want to like, you know, put that aside in their life and maybe one day revisit it or maybe one day not just like, but, but was it triggering for you to work in the clothing store and hear those comments? Yes. I'm not going to lie. I mean, you know, when you, uh, when it's something that you struggle with, you know, it, the struggle is there. It's just how you respond and what coping skills and mechanisms you've developed over the years um, that you've put in place so that it won't be something that becomes a problem for you. So sure, I think anybody who's had a struggle like that or um, anxiety, even depression, OCD, things might trigger you. But um, if you have those skills in place, then, you know, you might have bad days, but for mm -hmm. the most part, you're, you're okay. You know, you, you get through it. You get through yeah. it. There were, yeah. there were days, but Baruch Hashem, yeah. it was, it was okay.
Yeah. Okay. So you, you got, you went back to school and then, okay. So before Atomy, what, what were you, is Atomy what like your full-time job now or? Um, well, it is very full-time, but also, like I said, I do a lot of support for parents of kids with eating disorders, um, you know, speaking on body image issues. Um, so I do a lot of kind of one-on-one -on -one consultations with people, mm -hmm. um, even talking to parents about their role as a, an advocate for their child with an eating disorder. Um, I don't treat eating disorders. I, I do get a lot of people asking me about that, but sometimes parents just call me for direction. Like, I think my child has an issue. What, what are my steps? Like, what should I do? And does, does this sound like an issue to you? Um, so I do talk a lot with people about eating disorders, but yes, I, I meet with schools. Um, I train them in the uh, curriculum and we do, part of what I believe very strongly in is that while the curriculum for the girls is extremely important and, and you know, vital, parents and teachers also have to have workshops as well because they are the primary influence in the girls' lives. So if we don't give them the tools, if we don't give them um, ways to talk about the girls or even understandings of how the girls' body image is created, you know, mm -hmm. for parents more what we can do to help our daughters cultivate that more positive body image, but for teachers also to create healthy classroom dynamics where we don't experience weight bias, we're not tolerant of any weight bullying, um, things we shouldn't say or do or model in our classrooms. So we also provide workshops for parents and, and teachers as well. So it's kind of like a full uh, offering. So that is mostly, yes, my full-time job. That is so important. I know that I've had some schools reach out to me to talk to the girls and I'm like, it really starts with the parents. <laughs> it really just does. And the teachers for sure. Um, so <clears throat> could you just explain, I guess, just explain to me the difference between this, the, I guess there's like two branches of your, is it your business or is it like your, tell me more, like you said you're a parent, uh, like teaching the parents, but you also started this organization. Are they together? Are they combined? Yes. Yeah. So the, the OTSME is, um, the whole approach of OTSME is three-pronged. So we have the curriculum for the students, the workshop, it's a one, one hour workshop for the parents, and then a one hour workshop for the teachers as well. And that's all part of the umbrella of what OTSME provides. Um, me personally, um, on my own, will do the, you know, consultations for parents and support for parents with eating disorders, and sometimes just kind of help in navigating, uh, finding, the right therapist or medical doctor or teams of people, because as you know, it really takes a village. When mm -hmm. someone has an eating disorder, you need dietitians and you need doctors and you need mental health professionals. You need everybody, even recovery coaches sometimes. So um, yeah. sometimes just helping them put that together. And do you think that because you have like that business background, that's how you, like, it's not so easy to start an organization and to start a business. So was that, is that how you were able to get it off the ground? Um, I, I think that that was helpful. I, you know, I don't know why one day just came after I finished, it wasn't my, um, that wasn't my intention from the beginning. I really just wanted to know how I was going to work in prevention. And I, I thought, I thought, you know, maybe I'd work with some of the Jewish organizations that work, in, you know, with eating disorder referrals and things like that. Um, and I don't know, I, I did a lot of research. I was, I was, you know, training in all these things and it just hit me. Um, if I want to make a change, if I want things to be different, I'm going to have to be the change. Right. So I just decided one day that um, I want to make this nonprofit and I want this to be available to all the schools and I don't want it to be um, out of the realm of price for them. Really, we offer the curriculum at only a charge of $10, between 10 and 20 per child based on the cost of materials. That's it. We don't charge them for anything else. I don't charge um, for my time in speaking. Um, 
I want every child to have access to this and I want every parent and every teacher to have access to it. So that's why I wanted to start it as a nonprofit so that we could get donations and we could get people involved. And honestly, you know, Baruch Hashem, I've had so many people reach out and say, how can I help? How can I get involved? This is so important. Um, this is something that I really, you know, can, can connect with. Um, so I, I was very fortunate that there is a really generous man here in Michigan who um, helped me get all the paperwork together for no money. He was, he was extremely generous. He said he does that for Jewish organizations. Um, and Baruch Hashem, it just kind of fell into place. I can't say that it was my intent, but that's kind of what happened. Yeah, wow, Mikam Chayzrael, that people really do want to help. They really, that's they really do, amazing. They do, they really, really do. Yeah, that's amazing. So how long has Atsby been around? Um, it's been almost two years, um, and it took almost a year, it took about nine months or so to, to build the curriculum the way I wanted it. I had to find the right curriculum writers, and we had to test the curriculum, and we had to make sure that we were using the right methods and that we were doing the right things. So um, we wrote the curriculum, then we tested it here locally in Michigan. Um, and this is the first school year that we've offered it to the schools. Um, you know, it's not easy to get new curriculum and things in, in, in the from schools. I was very fortunate that I was able to get approbation in Roskama from um, the local Rav here, who is the head of our Kolo, uh, Harab Shmuel Irons, he's, he's a very big name. Uh, and so once we have gotten Haskama and the, you know, we, we have been getting into more, more and more schools. I have a lot of schools who want to start it for next year. Um, and yeah, thank God it's really been growing. It's really, really been growing. So you created the curriculum and then you, you, you had to sell it to schools or you're saying you give it to the schools for free because I, just the cost, like I said, of the, um, material, we, we offer every, every class gets a beautiful journal. The journal has some of the concepts that we're learning in there. They have inspirational quotes, um, and it has places for their exercises. So it's kind of theirs to keep. And so mm -hmm. we just ask them to pay for the cost of the journal or any supplies. There are a couple exercises that we do with the girls that require supplies. Mm -hmm. So this year, because of our sponsors, we've been able, able to keep it to $10 per child, um, which has been you know, very doable for every school. Um, hopefully down the road, maybe people will start to sponsor the journals completely and it won't be any cost at all. Um, but yeah, Baruch Hashem, mm -hmm. we've been able to keep the cost very, very, very minimal. So you, you basically right now you're trying to get it into the schools. You're not, you're not, the, you're not the one giving the curriculum. You're just giving them the physical curriculum and their teachers are teaching it. Um, I prefer the social worker of the school to give it to them. It could be mm -hmm. a teacher. It has to be someone who has a different kind of relationship with the girls. It's not about it being a class as much as it's a conversation and a workshop and something we're going to work on and learn together. Um, yes, we provide the training. I have videos that I provide for them um, so that the school First of all, because it's four sessions, each one for each grade that we do, eighth, 10th, and 12th. Um, this way, no one has to travel in for it. It can be done in-house. And every year when they have a new class, they can do it there. But also the social worker has a different type of rapport with the girls than a teacher does. And I need them to have that comfort level um, with the person that is giving it. And they have to be comfortable with the concepts that we're talking about as well. So generally, the social worker is a perfect person to do it. I have had teachers also in the school give it who are not that grades teacher. It kind of needs to be a person who isn't their regular person, if Got that it. makes sense. Yes, totally, that makes perfect sense. And why did you pick those grades, eighth, 10th, and 12th? So really the research shows that 10th is like one of the most perfect years to um, implement you know, 
changes of specifically for appearance, ideal, and body image. Um, so the studies also show that girls until about the age of 11 are really very primarily influenced by their parents. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really more of a, a parent's job to kind of solidify that positive body image and help them until that age. Once you hit 11 or 12, the peers become very central in the child's life, right? So eighth grade is kind of that really first big heavy peer year. So it's a great year to kind of talk to them um, about other ways to think about their bodies with each other. Um, and we talk about just also, it's really important in that year, we kind of want them to appreciate their unique selves. We talk about, you know, if you have it, you need it. If you need it, you have it. Hashem created you perfectly as you are and you have what you need. Because sometimes our girls um, struggle with being different. If their skills are different or their interests are different, that can be, mm -hmm. you know, a stressor for them. Um, so we start that in the eighth grade. And then the 10th, we go hard and heavy into the appearance, ideal and body image, because that's what the research shows. Um, and we do 12th because this is a really difficult time for girls. What we're hearing a lot, especially in um, the Shidduch world, is that sometimes the girls don't feel completely prepared. Um, they haven't really thought about what it is they're looking for. Um, you know, seminary is the first year away from home. They need new skills that they haven't had before. So we talk to them about some other types of concepts besides emotion regulation and, and their appearance, ideal, and body image. But we also talk a lot about um, priorities and boundaries and self-care and healthy relationships and what those look like to just kind of give them some skills moving forward away out of their parents' homes, you know, for the first time, many of them. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of why we did 12th grade as well. That is so, so amazing on so many levels. Yeah. Um, just I'm relating to a lot of it when you said like eighth grade, um, 11 year olds primarily influences their parents. I really do talk about that with my clients' parents a lot because, you know, like what, when, like you said before, like weight bullying, right? So I always say to parents, like, it always hurts when you're insulted, whether it's about your weight or anything, right? People can make fun of people who wear glasses or have braces or anything. Um, I always say it always hurts, but like when you have that confidence, whether it's body confidence or any confidence from your parents that you, not like, not like the confidence that your parents always compliment you about everything, just like that confidence that you are good and you are beautiful and you are strong and you have your own uniqueness. It always hurts, but like, it just doesn't penetrate as much when you have that like shield almost around you. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like so, so, so important for like the, you know, the moms that I work with, with the younger kids and the teenagers, like this is like their formative years. Like it's not so much about like screaming at the bully who, who is bullying. Although yes, we do have to do some, some work on that, but it's more about like exactly what you said, prevention and building them up and giving them skills and remembering that we're so much more than the way our body looks and we didn't do anything for the way our body looks and diet culture, like all those voices. So it's like, I, it's totally that, you know, continue continuum of prevention like you said eighth grade tenth grade and my own like my own like disordered eating started between like that age between like ninth tenth eleventh grade you know so like to have that in high school is like it's like so 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 important and and really continuing on what you said I think the parents I agree with you because you you can't control as a parent what your child will come into contact with outside your right, home. Right. But if you give them that sense of self-esteem, um, you know, self-compassion, ways of dealing with their emotions, you know, we talk about the concept of a, kind of like an emotional bank account, if you will. Mm -hmm. When we when we deposit 
and we talk to ourselves in a certain way and we, and we use the practice of self-compassion, then when we have stressors, which are normal and expected and a, just a regular part of life, mm-hmm. we, can, we can take a withdrawal from our bank account without it actually going into overdraft, right? right? We're not going to be in a zero balance or a negative balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it's so important to, to talk about these things with them um, and give them those skills. You know, parents can only be with their kids, like you said, part mm-hmm. of the time. So. Right. The best we can do is give them those skills to with, withstand some of the negative things that they might hear. Right. Totally. Yeah. I probably said this like a hundred times on the podcast at this point, but um, a few things just to go onto that point is that um, first of all, one second, I just lost my train of thought because I was thinking, oh, I always say this on the podcast. <laughs> I hear that um, I all the time. Yeah. Okay. We were talking about giving our kids Sorry, I'm trying to think. I was just talking about my da- talking to my daughter about this. Okay, anyway, um, it will come to me. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, so I w- another question that I was going to ask you is, do you ever consider doing younger grades, younger than eighth? That's grade? a great question. I really do get that a lot. I'll be honest with you. So, um, once this this curriculum is really up and running, there are two things that I'd love to do. One is, I want to do boys. Um, you know. A lot of people will say to me, why, why haven't you done boys? And the truth is I want to do them, but I, mm-hmm. I really spent so many years understanding um, girls' issues. I want to feel that strongly about what goes on with boys because their, their risks and their issues are going to be different. Similarly with children who are younger, you have to be so careful how you present what you're talking to them about, the types of exercises that you do with them. And so I, I feel that that, that is another thing that I'd like to do, but I, I, I'm working on doing some research into how can I best support them through these years. Um, mm-hmm. But again, because parents are so primary and central in their lives up until this time, when we train the parents and how they should talk to and support their children mm-hmm. uh, around their bodies and around food and you know some of these messages that they're getting, and we also talk to the younger teachers about how to create healthy classroom dynamics and how to model healthy behavior, then um, they're they're really quite supported because th- this is where they're getting their primary messages. So yes, it would be helpful, but I think the most important at those ages is going to be parents and teachers. So you're saying so? I guess would you consider giving giving like coaching or or workshops to the young like the parents of younger grades? Is that what you're doing? I always, yeah. When I do a school, I ask them to invite the parents of all yeah, grades. That's amazing. Um, any any child will benefit. You know. From, yes. From the younger, truthfully, the mother hears it, the better off the child is because right. you know, you create these things from the beginning. And I, it's really important for me always to say though, that, you know, no one is trying to intentionally hurt their child. Every mother, yeah. every parent is doing their best. They're very, very best, but we've all grown up in the same culture, right? We've right. all heard the same messages. We've all, mm-hmm. um, you know, experienced the same things. And we are just trying to help our child not have the same issues that we have had had or experienced, but sometimes we don't realize that that's exactly what we're, you know, making them experience. If we've ex- experienced weight stigma and our, we say to our child, like, you know, you're not allowed to eat this because you're gaining weight and I don't want you to get heavy or right, right. You know, the stories that I've heard, a girl uh, came home from seminary and she had gained weight and her mother said to her, you know, in our, in our family, we're a size two. So when you get back to our size, I'll take you shopping. Right. Uh, I, I think, I don't think the mother meant it in a right. mean way. It sounds right. like, oh, it's so mean. I, right. I just think that they don't always have the skills. They don't understand how harmful this can be to our children. Totally, totally. So I, one of the things I was going to say before is that um, you're not, like I always say that to moms, like you're actually not going to control 
your kids from hearing diet culture or weight stigma things because you you just won't like you can't follow your kids around right so it's so 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 important for you to welcome the conversation and say like if somebody says like oh they they insulted me because they said I was fat quote unquote fat um or um just anything that, you know, they were talking about dieting, they were talking about, um, like, I've already heard this in my own home, you know, my oldest is 10, like, it's, it's bad to be fat, it's good to be skinny, who's the skinniest, who's the fattest, right? Um, so like, that will happen, right? It, it is happening to, to kids even younger than 10. And that's just the way it is right now, unfortunately, but that doesn't mean like, you should like, say like, oh, don't say that. Oh, that's mean. Because you are giving subliminal messages that like, that's a mean thing to say, as opposed to like welcoming the conversation and having a lot, a lot, a lot of conversations about body positivity. Mm -hmm. Um, That, like you said before, about like the bank account, that like, they just have like that strong, strong understanding of what, of what your values are. And, uh, and on top of that is like, I always tell clients, like, think about, think about things in your own parents' home. Like you were saying about that, that woman said, we're a size two in our house most of the things that are like really, really important to our parents, they never even told us, right? They just, we just absorbed it. It it was the messaging in the home, right? So I tell that to clients, like you're, you want them to have, you know, positive body image, but like, but you don't have positive body image. And then I ask them, what are some messages that your parents that you know are so important to your parents and they never told you, right? And then it's like clear as day, like, oh, like I really am passing this down in my house because like that is what's passed down to me and of course not intentionally like we're trying we're all trying so hard but if we if we're not honest with ourselves about what what messaging we're giving over then like it's kind of really hard to help our kids you know very much so and you know it's interesting we have to create this intentional mindset i think it was um wilma rudolph i heard this quote and i loved it she was the um first american woman to win three gold medals and i guess there was a quote something like my doctor told me i would never walk again my mother told me that i would i believed my mother um really as a mother you know you're the most single I would say you're the most profound and powerful resource your child has in the world, especially your daughter. I I just don't think we realize how, how profound our influence is and whether it's consciously or unconsciously, we're impacting our daughter's sense of self, her values, what she chooses to prioritize in her own life every single day. So um, it just means that we need help with our own issues that we've all experienced, right? I always tell mothers, if you have struggles with your body image and your food and your eating, by all means get help because you're not even doing it only for yourself you're doing it for your children too and it's so it's so 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 important right right um I guess just just to share because I thought in my head it's very profound like I actually lost my mother like almost five years ago and like it was it was very sudden and I didn't have like we weren't so close when I was a kid but we became very close when I got older and like that it's kind of like hopefully nobody should ever know but it's like your roots are gone in a way. I mean, they're not because I still live with them, but like your mother is everything. Like the mother bond is, it's not everything, of course, but it's so profoundly affects us as people. So if we could, if there's anything that we could do to strengthen that bond and, and, you know, just be intentional about what we're sharing and what we, that's like the biggest thing. We don't, we, you know, clients will come to me and say like, I'm like, I'm a lost case, but help my daughter. And I'm like, you're not a lost case because they could even see you changing and it will make a huge difference. Like, you know, I think a lot of it, maybe because of diet culture is so black and white, it's like, oh, I messed up. Like you said before, it's really good to start the younger, like, you know, start teaching the moms of four-year-olds about this. But yeah, sometimes, sometimes we don't. 
And sometimes we don't have access to it. And guess what? So many people don't even believe it. So there's so much resistance, I'm sure. And it's like, okay, once you have that clarity that this is something that you want, this is something that you want to give over to your kids, then, you know, you can make a change. You could apologize and move forward. And that's, I think, also modeling like really positive behavior. And I like to also say that, you know, small changes can make huge impacts. So Mm -hmm. it's not like you're going to be perfect overnight and that everything's going to fall into place and that everyone in your family is going to agree with how you made these changes. I really advocate for pick one or two small things that you can make a change with that are going to be doable for you Um, and be consistent with that. It doesn't mean you're going to, you know, make this massive change overnight. Right. Um, And really, um, there always a lot of times with mothers, we have this guilt, this tremendous guilt. Well, what have I created? I've already ruined my daughter. You know, she's older. There's nothing I can do, but it's, it's simply not, it's not true. I always talk about this quote from Rabbi Torsky. He talks about, you know, ruminating about the past gets you nowhere. So kind of go ahead, learn what you can from the past and then put it behind you. Mm-hmm. You can't change the past, but you can use its lessons to improve your future. Right? So totally. we're just, you know, all work doing the best that we can. And let's just keep what we learn each day. We're going to, you know, do something new tomorrow. And that's great. That's all we have to do. Right, right. The staying stuck in the past or being like obsessed with the future just keeps us stuck. And like, if we could just, of course, we have to reflect on our past, but it doesn't have to like keep us, it doesn't have to keep us stuck. Exactly, exactly. And we can't, there's no point, there's no constructive point of blame Mm -hmm. um, and guilt. It doesn't, shame never serves a a good purpose. Shame just makes us feel unmotivated, unworthy. We're not going to go forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's part of, you know, what we talk about in some of our um, workshops as well, how guilt and shame don't serve a constructive purpose. But when you can use self-compassion as a practice, it actually motivates you and you have more self-worth and self-value. Um, so mm-hmm. the more we put ourselves down, the less we want to make changes because we think we're lost causes. Yes, you totally. Know. I say, I feel like I say that every day to clients. Um, like the therapist beyond. That's what I love about dietitians. <clears throat> I think people don't give them enough credit for the value that they bring to the table for every single person. It's not just about what you're eating. It's, it's just such a culture. And um, I have tremendous, tremendous, uh, you know, appreciation for what it is you guys do. Thank you. That's so sweet. It's, it's very much a t- like tied into the, um, intuitive eating model like they really cover everything like because when we talk about like challenging the food police I tell clients like we're going to challenge the thoughts in your head about dieting and body image but you could use it for anything you what else have you absorbed that you don't really truly believe so it's one of those things like I just feel like intuitive eating just helps in so many areas of life I agree I agree so did you do did you or do you continue to get like resistance from these messages are people like no I have to but I have to put my child on a diet because they have to lose weight like do you get resistance well most of the resistance that I get is that um you know but my child is heavy you know um the doctor said that they have to do this you know we we do need to make changes um you know so so I can't just let them do whatever they want but a lot of the times I'm finding that there's a lot of restricting going on in those homes because uh, the parents really are trying to help the child. But, uh, you know, when, we'll, when we enforce a lot of restrictions, certain foods we don't eat in this home, um, you can't eat after a certain amount, after a certain time, you're only allowed to eat this and then you're done, you're full, you had enough. Um, the more we restrict uh, and the more we have weight stigma, like we were talking about, actually, the research shows the heavier that child or person becomes. So mm-hmm. the more we're able to kind of follow that intuitive eating model and relax around the food messages and the food that we give them, sure, there might be that, 
adjustment period where there's a little more eating going on because we've introduced things that weren't allowed previously, um, but it does balance out. Um, most mothers really are very open. They're struggling with their own weight. So they're like, well, how do I make my child feel comfortable in their bodies, but I can't change how I am with my body, kind of like you said. And that I think is where the most difficult things come from. Also, I, I find a little resistance from the schools. I think sometimes they think that if they accept a program that is ultimately, um, you know, helps with preventing eating disorders, it means that we have eating disorders in our school. And now mm -hmm. people will know that that's a struggle that we have. Um, and, you know, mm -hmm. A, that's not true because we are giving them a lot of skills, but B, um, they don't realize that they have eating. Some of them think they don't have eating disorders in their school, but they do. They do. I mean, between nine and 12% of people will be diagnosed with an eating disorder in their lifetime. And the studies show that Jewish females have a propensity of up to two times more than the regular public. So that means between 18 mm. and 24% of us will mm. be diagnosed with an eating disorder. And that's just probably a genetic type of propensity because there are a lot of genetic risk factors in eating disorders. So pretending that it's not there doesn't make it not exist. And preventing it is so much better than dealing with it after the fact. And there's that contagion factor with eating disorders, of course. So when you get one in your class, if, if other people have that propensity, they're going to tend to compete and copy. Um, that's kind of what happens. Hmm. I have like a little knot in my stomach hearing that, like, that's so sad, you know, like that schools. I understand. I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to speak about that because I don't own a school and I understand that there's things that they do that we don't understand, but it's just like, it's just like there. I've heard this story so many times about the teenagers and one child, you know, diagnosed with an eating disorder, and other kids being jealous or emulating, or even though they, you know, they they may when they think about it, do they even look like? Do you think they look good or do they look sick? They could say, well, I think they messages. Yeah, yeah. I, I think though I really do believe that a lot of schools are. We have come so far yeah. in mental health. Help. I, I am. I think our community has grown tremendously, and most of the people that I talk to really want to do something and are noticing that changes need to be made. Um, I just think it's going to take a little time for them to be completely comfortable with that. Um, but I do think we are definitely going in the right direction. I have had some great feedback. Um, we have a lot of conversations. Usually, they need you know a handholding for a little bit of time. I always let people see the complete curriculum beforehand. I don't want them to feel like I'm teaching something to their students that they don't feel comfortable with, um, and they can make it their own. So we've had really good feedback, but again, you know, it's a process. They have, mm -hmm. to, they have to be comfortable with the concept, and then you know, how are we going to implement this at our school, and what are we teaching these girls? Because everyone is so careful, right? Mm -hmm. What message mm -hmm. are we giving our students? That that's something that's very important to everybody. Um, so I don't want it to be be like you know they're not re responding they are but right. i don't think they even realize truly how many kids in their school are suffering from eating disorders right um we have a lot of stigma in the from community against eating disorders that's that, that more than other mental health illnesses for some reason eating disorders have a lot more stigma even so much so that i spoke to a therapist who told me that she had a client who uh, a man who whose wife has a severe eating disorder and he tells people that his wife has cancer that's why they can't have kids because he can't he he can't be okay with telling people that she has an eating disorder there's just mm. a, a lot of stigma so it's a really hard thing for people to admit or get helpful or, or acknowledge wow wow that's really really sad so you are you giving this is this being given only in schools in Michigan or you're now like spreading it to the whole? No, we're, we're all over the country. Um, I actually have places that I'm talking to in Israel and Belgium and um, England. Um, yeah. I, I've had people reach out to me from Australia. So we're in talks with a lot of different places. Um, 
but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's international right now. Yeah. Oh, thank God. All the schools in Michigan have really started to do it, but um, you know, they know me more personally, it's easier for them to have access, but um, no, we are in, I think, I, I don't remember the exact count, but I think we're in like 10 or 11 States now. Yeah. Um, so. So if people like listen to this episode and they want to speak to you or like have, have this in their school, they could, they could just reach out to you and then like yes. you guys could start that conversation. Absolutely. Always happy to talk to anybody, see how I can help. If we can get that in the school, what we can do to, you know, um, implement them there, whatever we can do for sure. And they can meet me personally, if they like at Marcy, M-A-R-C-Y at Atzmi, A-T-Z-M-I.org, or just go to the A-T-Z-M-I.org, Atzmi.org website and fill out the contact form. Um, either way, you know, they should feel free to reach out at any time. Amazing. And that they could go to that website and donate if they want to help in that way. That would be amazing as well. Yeah. We are always yeah. looking for support and the sponsors. Definitely. Yes, for sure. Okay, so I'll get I'll get that information and I'll put it in the show notes so that people could hopefully in reach out. I appreciate it. Thank you so yeah. much. You so of much. course. Is there anything else you wanted to share? Um, anything else I want to share? Um, I guess I have to say that I have met some really amazing people. So many people are so altruistic and truly wanting to help their students and their daughters. Um, we are a community that's so open to learning new things. And even though there's a lot of discomfort from others, like I said, like we both said, because of what the culture we've grown up in, they still wanna try and improve themselves. We're always willing to grow and try something new. And for that, and the generosity, like you said, of our community, I'm always very impressed um, with everybody that I meet and everywhere that I go. It's just been really wonderful experiences, to be honest with you. So I, um, it's been a wonderful year for me to just kind of even meet these people and have these connections and talk to people like you who every day are just changing things for our kids little by little. And I think it's just so, it's so inspiring to me. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much for coming on. You really shared so many like important things. And I hope, I really hope, I mean, I'm going to try to, you know, get in touch with some of the schools just to tell them. And I hope other people will, because like, you know, like if we could just start with prevention and just education, people just don't know, like we can make so many positive changes. Yeah, actually, one more thing we did this year is we also created a training program for counselors for camps, just kind of signs and symptoms, um, what to look out for with your campers. If you if you notice a problem, um, you know, how to talk to your camper, what you should be doing as a counselor, um, not treating the eating disorder, but how to how to report it and what, what you need to do. Um, so if any camp, you know, would like to, that's also a virtual training, an hour, you know, with Q&A. So it's about 40 minutes of talking, 45 minutes, and then Q&A with the counselors. Um, they can feel free to reach out. That's another sponsored uh, program that we do as well. That is so important. How many people do you know that their eating disorder started in camp while they were watching other people eat or not eat or talk about body right. image? Wow. That's so, yeah. so special. Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you so much for coming on and really, thank really you. thank you for really all nice that you're talking to you. And thank you so much for all you do, Gila. I've heard so many mm. amazing things about you. So it was really nice to meet you. Uh, you're so sweet. That's so nice. And I, I really feel like I just want to say thank you for what you're doing for like the whole firm community, including my own, you know, children and, and friends, children's and Jewish, you know, Jewish families. It's so important. Thank you so much. I feel the same for you. So thank you okay. really a lot. Of course. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. Have a great day. Right. Thank you. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.